Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. This podcast is funded by listeners like you through Patreon. We want to thank all of our donors. We would not be able to produce this podcast or maintain the free resources like the blog, the videos, the downloadable posters on our website without you. So if you can, please consider supporting us at www.patreon.com slash learning scientists. We post videos each month for those who donate at least $5 or more. So today I want to talk about metacognition and how we make certain metacognitive judgments. And um, I want to talk about this today because I read a really interesting paper by Gregory Hughes, Holly Taylor, and Ayanna Thomas called Study Techniques Differentially Influence Delayed Judgment of Learning Accuracy of Adolescent Children and College-Aged Adults. So when we talk about metacognition, we're typically breaking that into two different components. So metacognition generally is our thinking about our thinking, and we can break that into metacognitive monitoring and metacognitive control. When we talk about metacognitive monitoring, we're talking about our ability to more or less accurately think about our thinking. And because we're interested in memory, we're going to talk about our ability to accurately assess our memory. And that's really important because that helps us make decisions about that, uh, about our memory and what we should be doing. So let's say you have a test coming up that you need to study for. You typically probably... probably aren't going to have a whole bunch of time to study for this test. You're going to have to make some decisions. Maybe in some ideal world, you'll have limitless time and energy to devote to studying, but usually you've got to make some choices. So you need to know what information is worth your time reviewing. That is what you're going to get the most out of reviewing because you're not as strong on it. And what information you can kind of just set aside because you're pretty good at it. So the metacognitive monitoring being able to judge or accurately tell um, whether or not you'll be able to remember the stuff later on a test is important because that helps you make study choices. You'll know that you're weak in one area and maybe strong in another. And then based on that, you'll do some sort of metacognitive control. So based on your knowledge of what you know and don't know and how you think your learning works, you're then going to engage in some some sort of study technique, Um, probably one or hopefully one of the uh, six different learning strategies that we talk about all the time. Um, But you can't decide which one to engage in until you think that you need to actually use it. So today we're going to talk specifically about metacognitive monitoring. Um, We're talking about judgments of learning in this specific study. Judgments of learning are a um, predictive metacognitive judgment. So a judgment of learning or a JOL is when you think ahead to some future um, event and predict uh, how well you think you'll perform. So uh, back to the example of studying for a test. Let's say, again, you know, you have a test coming up and you think, Okay, well, all of this information on, um, uh, let's say it's a math test. You say, okay, I'm really good on subtraction. I feel really confident on that. Um, I think I'm going to get like 95% of those subtraction questions because I'm really good at it. 
um, versus maybe ugh, long division still causing me some trouble. I'm not so great at that. I think I'm only going to get like 40% of those, right? So you make some sort of predictive judgment about how well you think you're going to be able to do some judgment of your, your learning as assessed at some future event. And, um, the way we make these judgments depends on some kinds of, of cues. And that's what this paper wanted to look at. So again, the paper is study techniques differentially influence the delayed judgment of learning accuracy of adolescent children and college age adults. So here they wanted to see, okay, when students are making that type of judgment, when they're thinking ahead and going, okay, I think I'll do this well or that well on a test or a particular item, are there differences between adolescent children, in this case that means 11 and 12 year olds, and college age students or 18 to 25 year olds um, based on the study technique that they used? So there's some reasons to think that maybe older students or young adults have a different way of making these judgments um, than younger children than the adolescents. Um, they have much more experience making these types of judgments where they've been in school for longer and they're at a different developmental stage. Certainly 18 to 25 year olds we think are pretty different from 11 to 12 year olds. So I really like this paper because I like that they were directly comparing <clears throat> the uh, college-age students and the adolescent students. I read a lot of papers where we're typically either looking at the college-age students, 18-25 year olds, or younger students. So I like to see this direct comparison um, and, and this discussion around, well, are there differences in how they make these judgments and what might those differences be? So in their set of experiments, they had students study uh, paired associates. So these are word pairs. Uh, where students are given an opportunity to study the word pairs and they're told, okay, um, these two words go together. And when you see the first one at some future test, your job is to be able to remember the second one. So for example, in this study, one of the word pairs was moon and galaxy. So the next time you see moon, you're supposed to write down galaxy or you're supposed to be able to recognize galaxy. That is the pair that goes together. And they have three conditions three different groups. Everyone got to study and read through the words, the word pairs intact. So everyone did a, a typical study phase. Here's all the word pairs. Um, and then what was different between the three conditions is what came next. So in one condition, what came next was just a simple restudy opportunity where they got to go through those words again and reread them or restudy them. In another condition, they had um, what was called elaborative encoding. And this is a pretty effective study technique. Elaborative encoding uh, is where students are asked to come up with a third word that's going to link the two words. So if you have moon and galaxy, you might come up with space as some concept that's going to link those two things together, right? Both of those things have to do with space. And so if you see moon and they go, oh, moon and space, ah, that's right, galaxy is that second word I'm supposed to be remembering. So we know the elaborative encoding is uh, pretty useful, pretty effective for helping improve your memory, right? It, it, it's elaboration, and we talked about how elaboration is very good for your memory. The third condition was retrieval practice. And retrieval practice, they were given um, the word moon, let's say, and a blank space, and asked you to type in the word that's associated with moon. So in this case, galaxy. So those are the three conditions. We have study, 
elaborative encoding, and retrieval practice. And the pattern of results that we get at final test are what we expect. Now, we, we know this, we, that the authors had pretty good reason to suspect this pattern that emerged. So for both the middle school students and for the college age young adult students, we get a very similar pattern where the condition that does the worst is the restudy group. Um, for the middle school students, that restudy group got about 60% correct. And for the college age students, there was about 50% correct. The condition that performed the next best then was elaborative encoding. Um, in the middle school students, that was 75% correct. And in the college students, that was 70% correct. So um, again, that's about what we expect. We know that elaborative encoding is going to be effective. So we saw in both groups that they improved when they did elaborative encoding at study. And then finally for retrieval practice, for middle school students, that got them to 84% correct at final test, and for the college-age students, that got them to 79% correct. So very similar pattern across all three. In middle school students, we have about 60, 75, 80, 84, 85%. Um, in college-age students, it's 50, 70, 79. So uh, the, pattern, the numbers aren't exactly the same, but the patterns are the same. They do okay, uh, very middling with the restudy, much better, or at least a, quite a bit better in elaborative encoding and best when they have retrieval practice. Now, the authors weren't really that concerned with this final test performance. Like I said, we already kind of predicted this. That's really not that, that much new. What they were really interested in was how accurate their metacognitive judgments, their JOLs would be based on the study technique that they used. So when we talk about accuracy in JOLs, um, there are kind of two different ways to do it. You can talk about relative accuracy versus absolute accuracy. In this paper, we're, we're going to be talking about relative accuracy, but just to go over the difference between those two things. Um, in, in my initial example for this, I said, okay, for subtraction, I'm going to do really well. I'm going to remember like 95% of this. And for division problems, I'm going to do really poorly. I'm going to remember maybe I said 40%, right? Um, so you could look at my final score on division and subtraction questions and directly compare it to those estimates I gave. Let's say I only remembered 80% of the subtraction problems as opposed to the 95% I gave. Um, and let's say instead of remembering 40% of the long division problems, I remembered 50%, right? So I'm off. Um, if we took an absolute measure of my accuracy, I'm at about like 10% off on each of those estimates. So maybe my absolute accuracy isn't that great. But relatively, I still predicted the same pattern, right? 80 and 50 is not as big of a difference as 95 and 40, but it's still in the right right direction, right? It's the same pattern. So um, there, the relative accuracy is pretty much on point, but the, rel the absolute accuracy is not. In this paper, they're looking at relative accuracy of the JOL estimates that the students gave. And um, we summarize relative accuracy using a correlation score. So it's just like any other correlation where a one means that they were absolutely perfect. A zero means there's just no pattern, no rhyme or reason really to um, how they were making these estimates. And a negative one means like there was a pattern. It just happened to be the exact opposite of what happened. Right. So um, no one had a negative score. So we don't have to worry about that. 
So again, the closer to zero, that means it's there's no discernible pattern. The closer to one, that means that there is a, a pretty solid pattern and it's right on point. So for the middle school students, when they were predicting, so after they'd gone through and done um, either the restudy, the retrieval practice, or the elaborative encoding, they were asked to make a JOL. How well do you think you're going to do on an upcoming test? Um, and for them, they were asked how well they thought they would be able to recognize the second word in the word pair in a, um, in a multiple choice test. And um, I think it was just a few minutes after they had gone through and, and done their, their study session with those items. So in a few minutes, you're going to have a multiple choice test. What's the likelihood that you, you think you'll be able to remember this item or recognize actually, what's likely that you think you'll be able to recognize this item on the upcoming test? And so based on those scores and then based on how well they actually did on the test, we have this accuracy score. Could they accurately predict whether or not they would um, recognize the word on the test? And the pattern's pretty interesting because in the study group, uh, they were uh, 0.16 accurate. So remember, zero means we have no idea what's going on here. And one means they were absolutely perfectly accurate. So 0.16 pretty small. They really didn't have a very good idea at all about how well they would do on the upcoming test after they had just, just restudied the words. Then for elaborative encoding, which we know really helped their memory, how did it help their accuracy of, of their metacognitive judgments? Not at all. It was terrible for the middle school students, for these 11 to 12 year olds. Um, their accuracy was 0.06. So even worse, even <laughs> Um, less accurate than the restudy group. And then finally for retrieval practice, their accuracy was 0.37. I mean, not stellar, but that's a pretty respectable correlation. There was some semblance of, uh, of a prediction there. They were definitely much more accurate in the retrieval practice condition than either the elaborative encoding or the restudy condition. And this is interesting because um, you might think that as your memory improves, so does maybe your monitoring of your memory. Um, I, I could see that argument where you might think that the more accurate your memory is, well, you're really good at it. And because you're good at it, you can assess that better versus when you're not so great at it with like the restudy, they... Uh, they only got about like 60% correct in the final test. And so maybe it's just kind of a very scattershot approach. You're all over the place. And so it's difficult to predict. And so that accuracy is goes down. Um, but that's not really the case because we have this elaborative encoding condition where their memory did improve. They did perform much better at final test. Um, but their accuracy, their ability to predict that is really low. So that's what it was like for these 11 and 12 year olds. What was it like for the 18 to 25 year olds? It's really interesting because they had the exact same accuracy for um, the restudy condition and for the retrieval practice condition. So again, that means in the restudy condition, they weren't very accurate. Um, it was only 0.16, their, their correlation. And in the retrieval practice condition, it was 0.37. Um, so not, again, maybe not super stellar, but certainly much more accurate than restudy. So how do they do in that, that middle condition in the elaborative encoding? They had 0.41. Um, so they were as accurate, maybe even a little bit more accurate than the retrieval practice condition. So with the older students, we see that the more effective memory, um, 
or encoding technique actually did improve their metacognitive monitoring. Uh, so again, I really like this comparison between the older students and the younger students, because if we just had one or the other, we would come to different conclusions about how metacognitive monitoring works, right? Um, we might have this idea, if we only had the college students, we might have this idea that there's this relationship between accuracy of judgments and accuracy of memory. But with the middle school students, we see that that relationship doesn't really hold up, that breaks down. Students can be using a really effective memory technique and they may not know it, right? They may not be able to predict their future memory accurately just because they're using the more effective technique. Now, of course, the authors, um, Hughes, Taylor, and Thomas, uh, had some ideas about why is that? How are they making these metacognitive judgments? What are the cues that they're using? And they said, well, there's, there's maybe these, like, there are these two types of cues. There are um, what we call kind of more direct cues where we're making our judgments based off of a, um, a more sort of direct experience versus what they call non-critical cues. So in that first category, when we make judgments off of a more direct experience, they tend to be more accurate. So it, in that case, it makes sense that retrieval practice is a really good way to make accurate judgments about your learning because you don't really have to guess how well you'll be able to remember this item in the future because you just remembered it just right now, right? So you can practice recalling information and based on how well you feel you're able to do that off of that much more direct experience, um, you can make a more accurate judgment. Again, these aren't perfect, right? No one's getting a correlation of one with these, but certainly the types of um, internal judgments are much more accurate when you've actually gone through the practice of retrieving something. Now, there are other cues that we use to determine how well our memory works. Um, we don't always go through and practice recalling information. So they, they talk about non-critical cues or non-critical recollection. Um, these are kind of like contextual details. So not the word itself coming to mind, but remembering the context in which you read the word um, and you knew the types of things associated with that word. And for these non-critical cues, for these contextual details, um, elaborative encoding is, is all about that, right? So in our example of moon and galaxy, and you have to come up with that third word, what we call mediator, um, you have to come up with space, um, that's a contextual detail, right? You're thinking about what are what is the context of these words? What relates those two words together? And so their argument is that it seems like the older students are much better able to deal with the contextual details they can make predictive judgments based off of contextual details versus the younger students, these 11 and 12 year olds, they don't really have that skill yet. They don't make their memory judgments based off of those contextual details. Um, and this is, again, I think this is an important piece of information to have when we're talking about helping students monitor their own learning, when we're talking about helping students um, to, to get effective study habits. So it's important to know that when students are making these judgments, when they're sitting down to study for a test or to, to figure out whether or not they need to study for a test, the way they make those judgments is different. Um, and it's different probably depending on uh, a few factors. This suggests that age, and here I think age is really a proxy for experience, um, is going to be one of those factors. 
younger students, certainly um, 11 to 12, and I imagine younger than 11 to 12 as well, don't have the ability to make these metacognitive judgments on the non-critical cues, on the contextual details. Um, so they aren't going to be that accurate in predicting their own learning if they don't have um, a more direct experience with it. So I think, I think retrieval practice is always great and always important, but I think it's especially important for younger students to um, help them with their own learning, to help them manage their own learning. If we have them do other um, also effective study techniques, just need to keep in mind that it would be a good idea to, in addition to having them do that, to having them do elaborate encoding, um, they, they might need to practice retrieval as well. If we're talking about having them monitor their own learning and be in charge of studying on their own. Um, now, it might be the case that we don't have to worry about them studying on their own, on their own that no matter how they feel about they're learning at that particular moment, they should always go through maybe the same study exercises um, when they're preparing for an exam. And that's fine too, right? That's another way of getting at this sort of um, weaker metacognitive skill that they have. But with college age students, certainly um, we expect these older students to be much more in charge of their learning, um, to make more effective and more nuanced study choices based on what they're doing. We expect them to be much more independent so it's interesting and I think um, rather comforting that they are better able to do that, um, that they can make more accurate judgments uh, when they are still using these, these effective study techniques. And I think that's another important point here is that um, they still need to do an effective study technique um, and that the effective study technique is not only good for future memory, but it's also good for their metacognitive monitoring and their ability to think about their memory. So that's that's my my discussion on metacognitive monitoring and um, and the differences that we see between college age students and and adolescent students. This episode is funded by listeners like you. To support our work and gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com/learningscientists.